Hey, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the start of a brand new series we're excited about, a little three-week series we're calling Blessed. I am a man who believes in blessing. I am so excited to be doing this uh, series where we talk about what it means to be blessed. Three significant things are that reminders and really very intentionally placed at my house when you come up to it. An observant visitor would come up and see three things that serve as a reminder to me. The first thing you're going to see on our doorpost on the outside is what's called a masutza. I bought it in uh, Israel, and it's a simple reminder that the, that, of the Lord's blessing on our house, <clears throat> of the fact that He is the ruler, the sovereign of our lives and of our home, and it reminds me that He has blessed our home. Once you're inside the door, to the right, immediately you see a large piece of our artwork that simply says blessings, and under that, pictures of our family. A reminder, constant reminder to me that I am blessed. We are blessed with a wonderful family. And then the other is as you go out the door, on top of the door as you exit, is a, a leather sign, a leather piece that I bought in Kenya that simply says caribou. Caribou is Swahili for welcome. And that welcome sign, that caribou, reminds me that I am blessed with wonderful friends all over the world. And I'm thankful for those blessings. We use that word a lot, don't we? Blessings, blessed, <clears throat> bless. They're, they're all the same word, and we use them very casually. We, we use them a lot. Um, it, they may mean several things to several people, different things to different people. Uh, we even use the words as almost kind of Christian code so that we can know that we're talking about a little something special, a little something different when we talk about blessing. Well, at the suggestion of an article that we read this week, I decided that I would um, go to hashtag blessed on Instagram and search it out. Did you know, ha try it hashtag blessed Instagram, there were over 137 million posts. Now, that's a lot. 137 million posts. As I, as I glanced down through some of those pictures, I saw all kinds of things, and all of them, as you might guess, were very happy things, were things like newborn babies, were things like wedding pictures, were, were things like beautiful places that people had been to and seen and experienced, times of, of great congratulations, whether it was a new job or, or a graduation or some other accomplishment that was done. That's what we think about. That's what we Westerners think about. When we think about being blessed, we think about those good things, right? I mean, what do you think about? If I already ask you, what do you think about when you think about blessing, when you think about being blessed? Probably you would think about things like good health right now, right? You would be thinking about things like a strong relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your children, uh, with a friend. You, you would probably think about some success that you've had. And those are the things that we Westerners in particular like to think about. But what about this? I also decided to search out hashtag not blessed. <laughs> hashtag not blessed. And by the way, there was less than 20,000 posts under hashtag not blessed. We don't want to think about that, do we? We don't want to talk about being not blessed. What does it mean to be not blessed? Well, according to these pictures, they were pictures of sadness. They were pictures of brokenness. They were pictures of people who were not happy. And, and so that's our tendency to think of those things. So we 
think it's important that we begin here by talking about what exactly it means to be blessed. Does it mean that everything is always good? Does it mean that we are guided and blessed by our circumstances? Does it mean that, that, that we are more uh, in tune with our attitudes? What is it that we're talking about when we talk about blessed? If we're going to look at this series, this subject for the next three weeks, I think it's important to start with this question. What does it mean to be blessed? The answer might surprise you. And as a matter of fact, you may find that blessings come through sources that we might least expect. So to do that, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching, some of his teaching on blessings. Now, the, the scripture is full of teachings on blessings, on being blessed. There's found in the Old Testament in numerous places. It's found in the New Testament in numerous places. The word blessed is found in the Old Testament law. It's found in the prophets. It's found in the writings. It's found in the gospels. It's found in the epistles. It's just found everywhere. Even in the book of Revelation that we just finished, remember the, uh, the Revelation uh, writer John tells us that blessed are those who read this book and who hear it. And so this word is all over scripture. Well, who better to turn to than Jesus? Jesus taught his disciples about what it means to be blessed in Matthew chapter 5. And so today I want us to focus in on 12 verses there in the beginning of the chapter that I think will help us come to answer the question, what does it mean to be blessed? So let's just dig in. Now, Matthew chapter 5, many of you will recognize as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was a, was a beautiful uh, time of teaching that Jesus had with his followers, probably more than just his 12 followers that we know as his disciples. There were probably some ladies there. There, there were probably some friends there. Uh, some have guessed a great crowd was there on, the, on that day in that particular time. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it took place um, beside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we don't know exactly where. I've been to the traditional spot, and, and it's a grassy slope. Uh, of, uh, we would call it more of a hill probably that rises up from the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful, beautiful spot, one of the most beautiful spots in the land. So when I talk about this Sermon on the Mount, I'm immediately taken back there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to the Lord Jesus and listening to what he talks. But I got to tell you, this sermon is different than most sermons that we've heard. This sermon is different than what we're accustomed to when we think of sermons. I've even read some trusted commentators who say it might be misnamed by calling it a sermon, uh, but we'll judge for ourselves. Let's just kind of dig in and read Matthew 5. I want to start with verse 1. It says, when, the, when he saw the crowds, that is when Jesus saw the crowds, again, people there, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, here's our first hint that this is more than, than just a normal sermon as we would think. In fact, quite different. What are some differences? First of all, it was outside, not inside. Most of the time when we think about a sermon, we think about coming to church or we think about sitting and watching it online in our homes, but this is outside, not inside. Secondly, we notice Jesus is sitting down, not standing up. Now, there was a time when I just thought preaching, if you're going to preach a sermon, you have to preach it standing up. Well, I'm sitting down today, and I often sit down. Jesus was sitting down. Now, that's not unusual in his day, by the way, because rabbis or teachers would often sit to teach. Third, he was teaching and not preaching. 
Now, what I mean by that, he was taking in a normal conversational tone and talking to this, these followers of his, these people who were following him, he was giving them some important information that would transform their lives and would give them some practical application as well. And then finally, he was encouraging, not a rebuking. Now, this was a breath of fresh air for his listeners because they were accustomed, unfortunately, to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were always belittling them, degrading them, and rebuking them, always kind of taking them to the woodshed. So it was a welcome difference. It was a welcome change, this Sermon on the Mount. Now, let's get moving. He says in verse 2, Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are, now hold on right there. I know I didn't get very far, but let's just stop there and think about that just a moment. Blessed are, the very first word of the sermon, the very first word he said. Now, how many know that when we listen to a teacher or we listen to a preacher or we listen to a lecturer, what do we do? We zero in, that first word becomes important. To those of us who are taught to communicate, we are taught that the first words are important. So here's the first word that he says in the sermon, and it's what? <laughs> Blessed. There's our word. Now, it's going to occur in each of these verses in a different fashion, in a different way, a means of explanation. So this is why we've chosen this passage, blessed. But wait a minute. What does it mean? What does this word blessed mean? We're not, we're not really told a lot here. Now, the Greek word, remember, the New Testament is written in the Greek language, right? And so the Greek word here is makarios. Makarios. Now, that may not mean much to you, but listen to what Strong's Concordance tells us, um, a very reliable source of the meaning of Greek words. Uh, Strong says this. He says, blessed means to be happy. Now, that may surprise some of you. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I don't know, I, I'm not, I've always been told that being blessed is different than being happy. Literally, the word is happy. In fact, some of our English translations even translate it such in the Beatitudes by saying, oh, how happy is the man. Now, before you get off too far on that, understand, let's go a little bit further with what Strong says, and you'll see there's a little difference in our thinking about happiness and their thinking about happiness and so forth. He says, blessed, be, uh, blessed means to be happy, but not in the usual sense of happiness based on positive circumstances. From the biblical perspective, Strong says, Makarios describes the person who is free from daily cares and worries because his every breath and circumstance is in the hands of his maker who gives him such an assurance. Now, that really sets the tone for us. We come to understand that this word is a little bit different than what we typically think of as being happy. As a matter of fact, when this word was used in the, in, in, in the, in the time of Jesus speaking this and in the time of his listeners, it's interesting, Makarios was used to describe two different conditions. One, it described the social stratum of the wealthy, who by virtue of their riches lived above the normal cares and worries of lesser folk. Uh, they, these are the ones who were blessed as Makarios was used. It, a, it, a social standing that they had everything they wanted, they had everything they needed, that was the idea. The second way the term was used, Strong says, is to describe the condition of the Greek gods who because they had whatever they desired, existed in an unbelievable state of well-being, satisfaction, and contentment. That's the idea that's expressed here in blessed, happy. Happy to the extent that we have all that we 
need. Jesus says, how happy is the man? Now, I want us to see this very carefully because our word happy, I don't want to lose that word. Somehow, sometimes we think in Christian circles, it's not okay to be happy. Well, sure it is. As a matter of fact, Jesus says happy is the man. The problem is our word happy has evolved over the years. It's evolved or devolved, however you want to put it. It it has turned its meaning to mean less than uh, what it originally had in mind. This idea of happiness that comes from the fulfillment of all that we need is quite different than we think of happiness today. We tend today to think of happiness as a good, tingly feeling that we get because we have something that makes us feel good, advances us personally, or whatever it may be. This word goes deeper. This word moves further. Now, the unfortunate thing is Not only have we lost that original idea of happiness and kind of cheapened it, I'm afraid the same thing is happening now to our word blessed and blessings. In many ways, we are cheapening it today. We use it so casually. We use it so easily. We talk about somebody being such a blessed person, you know, or or what a blessing this is to me. And if we're not careful, we use it way too casually. The truth of the matter is this word Happiness, this word blessed, has in mind something far deeper. I think we get a great hint at what it means from the Hebrew meaning. Now remember, Jesus, as he's speaking this sermon, not writing it, he didn't write it in the Greek. Matthew later came along with that. Jesus is speaking probably Aramaic, which is what most of, um, m- most of the, his friends and, and uh, followers would speak. He's speaking this language, but he understands the Hebrew. He reads the Hebrew. We know that because he knows the Old Testament scriptures, which are written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word. What's the Hebrew word for this word blessed? The Hebrew word is baruch. Baruch. Now, that's important because baruch literally means an increase. An increase. And here's how it was used. In the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew's mind, when he's reading this word Baruch, and he's thinking of increase, what he's thinking about is God's presence increasing in us. And then the idea would be that to be blessed is to be increased, an increase of joy, an increase of peace, an increase of, uh, of contentment, an increasing fulfillment because of an increasing presence of God. Man, doesn't that make this word a lot deeper than we typically casually use it? We often say, have a blessed day. That's a wonderful phrase, actually. I I, I want to keep it and use it myself. But do you realize what you're saying? If you're thinking of this word Baruch, you're thinking, have a blessed day. What you're really saying is more than have a good day. I mean, good days can be determined by a lot of things, right? Whether we have a good day or a bad day could be determined by circumstances, by what happened at work today, by the grade I got in school today, or whatever it might be. But, 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 but have a blessed day with the idea of this brook is have a day filled with God. May your day increase your awareness of the presence of God. What a blessing. What a thought. So he starts with this word, blessed. And by the way, these next 12 verses are what we call, are commonly called the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard that word before and wondered, where did that come from? Beatitudes. It actually comes from the Latin word, beatus, which means blessed. So a lot of language there, but I think it's important to understand the word. The idea is, oh, how happy. Oh, how blessed. Oh, how fulfilled. 
filled, the person who understands the presence of God and has that presence and that awareness increasing in our life day after day. Now, <clears throat> these words are going to, pro- I- I'm going to read them in just a moment and show you some of how Jesus used, uh, used words to describe this blessed being, this blessed sense of, of, of life. Now, before I do, I got to tell you, we have to understand that these are way more than just simple little phrases that make us feel good. Sometimes because they're easy to read and because they're somewhat poetic, we think, oh, these are just nice feel-good um, thoughts. But, but listen, Jesus never preached a feel-good theology. He, he never, the, the goal of his theology was never to just make us feel good, to encourage us, yes, to instruct us, yes, to rebuke us, yes, to correct us, yes, but not really to feel good. As a matter of fact, I think what we're going to find as we read through these words is they pose an incredible challenge to everything our world teaches us. Everything our culture teaches us runs counter to what we're going to read in just a few moments. So let's read through these Beatitudes. Now, I wish I had time to speak and comment on every one of them, but that would probably be a good series in and of itself. Let me do this. Let me just categorize these these, uh, Beatitudes, these eight Beatitudes, into three categories. Three categories that I think are helpful to me to see the general idea and the general feeling of what they are. And each of them deals with my attitude, okay? I heard somebody say one time, trying to quip something a little funny, he said, these are not do attitudes, they're be attitudes. I I think that's an important thing because we're not talking here about actions. Jesus is not promoting some action that we take in order to produce something. He is talking about an attitude that is produced because of the presence of God in our lives. And by the way, before I forget to say it, this is a good point to place to say that these words really are spoken specifically to followers of Christ. These are spoken to those who know Christ and who are following him. I say that because how else are we aware of the presence of God in our lives? And because it is the presence of God, it is the presence of Christ in my life that produces this fruit we're calling these Beatitudes. So what are those attitudes? First of all, The first clump, if you will, uh, I want to read is verses 3 through 6. And I think these are talking about my attitude toward God. My attitude toward God. Here's what he says beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, let's just stop right there. All of these really point us to our attitude toward God. What attitude develops? What attitude should we have in our hearts toward God? And and there's a a few things here that just stand out to me. First of all, he says the, the poor in spirit. This indicates a willingness to admit my spiritual bankruptcy. I have to have that attitude as I approach God, as I am aware of God in my life. The more I'm aware of his presence, the more I'm aware of my spiritual bankruptcy. The more I am aware of my need for redemption, my need for purification, my need for his righteousness, because mine just won't do it. I'm reminded of the prophet Isaiah who said, our righteousness, the very best that we have, is as filthy rags before him. My, my, my. It's important. Blessed are the poor. Now he says poor in spirit. 
Please note that the poor in spirit, we're not talking about the poor money-wise. We're talking about poor in spirit, those who admit spiritual bankruptcy. And then he says, secondly, blessed are those who mourn. This gives us an attitude of submission. The idea of mourning here, um, now we understand mourning, we understand grief, and, and right now we are going through an extended period of mourning, an extended period of grief. Uh, frankly, in, in my 60 plus years, I don't remember a time of mourning like we experienced even in the past few months as friend after friend and family member after family member has, has passed through this a terrible pandemic, and, and we're aware of that. But that's not the mourning he's talking about here. Here his mourning has reference to, in context, has reference to an awareness of God's presence and aware of my spiritual bankruptcy and awareness that I must submit to him and mourn my sinful condition, mourn my sinful chaotic life and submit my life to him. And then an attitude of hunger must prevail in my life. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, I'm tempted to go off on that, but I'll let you do that on your own, or maybe you can get that in your group and you can talk about what that means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's all part of my attitude toward God. Am I hungry for the things of God? Am I hungry to know God? Am I hungry for a, a more intimate walk with Him? That's where he's going with that thought. Now, the second group I'm calling my attitude toward others, verses 7 through 9. Here's our attitude toward other people. <laughs> now, this may get a little bit tougher for us, actually. Really? Let's think about it. Look at verse 7. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. All these relating to other people. How do we relate to other people? Now, remember, this is all part of a blessed life. He says, the person is blessed who because of he's aware, is aware of the increasing awareness of God's presence in his life becomes merciful instead of condemning. Wow, we become merciful because from condemning. Why would we do that? The only thing that would make us become more merciful than condemning is an awareness of a merciful God in my heart and life. And the mercy that he has shown to me then gives me a little bit of thought about being merciful to others. I seek to cultivate a purity of heart as I realize that, that Christ is in me, that, that the presence of God is in my life, that I'm blessed with his presence. I have a yearning to cultivate purity in my heart. I want to become a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, he says. Now, why is that? Seems to us it'd be more happy. We'd be more blessed to get out there and fight our enemies. And we, we want to, we're not a peacemakers, he says, for they'll be called the sons of God. I experience the kind of treatment that Christ experiences. That is a blessed life. And then finally, he talks a little bit about my circumstances or my attitude, I'm sorry, toward my circumstances. Look at verse 10. He says, blessed are those. Now, this is going to rock your world a little bit. Remember, these are not warm, fuzzy statements. These are statements that challenge us, that challenge us to remember that Christ is in our life, that he is ruler. We are submitting to him. We are humble before him. And look what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is there. And then he adds, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. 
Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I don't quite imagine you going to your Instagram account right now and posting a picture of somebody accusing you or mocking you or, or someone persecuting you or, or someone belittling you, and you would probably put it on there, hashtag not blessed. <laughs> but in fact, Jesus says, you're blessed when they insult you. And then he finishes up this little section by saying, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Very important lesson here that we learn about being blessed. Very important. My blessing does not depend upon my circumstance. Very important to learn. The difference in how we define happiness and how Jesus defines blessedness or happiness, the way he defines it, is that our blessing, our happiness is not dependent upon circumstances. Even when things don't go as we would like, we are blessed because we are aware of God's presence in that situation. God blesses us even in times of testing and trouble. Remember the writer James said it this way. James said, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. Verse one, chapter one of, of his opening of his little letter, James wrote these words. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and that endurance have its effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James says our trials are a blessing when we realize that our God is present in the midst of the trial. What do we sing? There's another in the fire. There's another in the water when we pass through, when we go through those tough times. But how can you have joy in life? You say, Eddie, that doesn't make sense. How do we have joy? How can, how can, difficulty, how can difficulty ever be a blessing? Philip Yancey wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And uh, in there, he comes to a conclusion that I think is fascinating. Uh, and he's thinking about these Beatitudes <clears throat> as he's writing. He's thinking about this upside-down philosophy that Jesus is telling us and teaching us. And here's what Yancey says. He says, dependence, dependence humility, simplicity, cooperation, and a sense of abandon, all the things that those Beatitudes include. Everything that we just read includes all of those things. Dependence, humility, simplicity, cooperation, and a sense of abandon are qualities greatly prized in the spiritual life, but extremely elusive for people who live in comfort. Have you ever thought that your lack of comfort could be a blessing? Have you ever thought that your lack of comfort could be something good? Probably not. And yet, it's exactly what he's saying. I heard a mentor say a long time ago to me, he said, Eddie, you need to know that God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. It took me a while to understand that. I like being comfortable, don't you? And yet, it's right. God is more concerned with our character than with our comfort. And our character is built through difficult situations, through trying situations. The key to the joy, the blessing, is that the presence of God is always near us. I think that advice, that thought from a, a mentor came to really roost in my life um, back when our, one of our grandsons, Brody, was diagnosed with cancer. And I, I learned through that experience a lot of things, but the thing that sticks out in my mind more than anything else that God rang into my heart was these words, peace 
Peace, he said. I was crying for peace, but it didn't seem to come. Peace, he said, Eddie, is not the absence of pain, but the promise of his presence. That's the, that's the key to being blessed, to understand the presence of God increasing in my life, an increasing awareness of God's presence. The songwriter David said it this way in Psalm 16. He said, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. David got it. He understood. I don't know how long it took him to get it, but he got it. That the joy in life, the treasure of life, the blessing of life is the presence of God in my heart, in my life. So you can see these are not simple sounding and easy. These are very simple sounding and easy to read, but each of these beatitudes offer a radical Contend for a radical rearrangement of our ordinary value system, encouraging us, calling us, daring us to be different, to be different. I wrote down this statement because I want to remember this. Blessing does not come through comfort or cheer, but through character. A character not shaped by, by, by my own abilities and activities, nor seated by my current circumstances, but founded solely upon my knowledge of Christ and Him producing the character of Christ in me. I believe that's what it means to be blessed. To be blessed. So you see, Matthew's Beatitudes are not practical advice for successful living, that's not the idea. What they are are prophetic declarations made on the conviction of the coming and already present kingdom of God that we talked about weeks ago. This blessed life is ours, but it's not promised to all. Only those who have the realization of that coming and already kingdom of God. Those who are followers of Christ so to be blessed is to realize and experience the presence of Almighty God in His kingdom. It's basking in His glory and knowing that He is all I need. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever the trial, the difficulty, whatever position I'm in, as Paul says, I can be content, I can rest. Why? Because I know I am blessed with the presence of God. Interesting, the Chinese character for blessing is made up of two parts. The first part means God, while the second part is a plot of land, which also means wealth. And the idea is this, the word blessing will never be called blessing if God's not in the picture. It all rests upon Him. So over the next two weeks, we're going to move forward and look at how we are to live in light of that thought, in light of our blessing, in light of the presence of God in my life. How do I move? How do I go? Where do we extend this same blessing? So the takeaway today is pretty simple. I, I want to ask you this question. Be honest. Are you looking for blessing or are you looking to be blessed. Do you want to be blessed or just want a blessing? Now you say, well, it, aren't, aren't, not, not, they're not necessarily the same. Are, are you just looking for a moment that makes you feel good? Or are you looking to be blessed? 
increasing in your knowledge of the presence of God in every situation that comes by. I, I guess the best way to conclude is just to say this. Even if you have all the land and all the wealth in the world, everything you could desire, you will never truly be blessed. You'll never be happy. You'll never be content. You'll never be satisfied unless God is in your life. Unless God is in your life. So my friend, I don't know what you're searching for today. I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what you're trying to find fulfillment and happiness in. I don't know. Maybe you use this word blessed casually, simply, maybe even a little um, carelessly. But I do know this. You, I, we need the presence of God in our life. And the good news is, if you're a follower of Christ, you have that promise already. And if you're not, and you just tuned in today searching, you can enjoy that presence today. You can invite Christ into your life today. You can take that attitude, that beatitude of surrender, and, and, and that attitude of understanding your spiritual bankruptcy, bring it to the Lord. And he offers instead his righteousness for our sin. He offers instead his life instead of our death. He offers to come into your heart, into your life, and to have his presence be known. And as that increases, you are blessed. As the knowledge of that increases, I should say, you are blessed. Well, I'm looking forward to this series. Can't wait to talk more about this subject because I'm convinced it's a powerful one, and we are truly blessed. May I pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this moment together this morning. Thank you, God, for allowing us to look into this little word that we use a lot, blessed. And thank you for reminding us today that blessing is the presence of God in our lives. Don't let us be steered away down tracks of searching for good things in other things, but may we rest in the best, and that is the presence of God in my life. Amen and amen.